From the EBKB studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to BPW Radio on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Bobby, Mike, and Dan. Welcome to BPW Radio. It is Tuesday, uh, October 8th. We are one day away from the Flyers season opener. We're going to talk about all the recent news. But first, let me introduce my guest. Uh, Mike Asito's here. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great tonight, Dan. I am just living the dream. It is another day in paradise here in Philadelphia. It's always a day in paradise in Philadelphia, and uh, we're going to talk the Flyers' win. It seems like it's been three weeks since they played their first game. They played Friday afternoon. They beat Chicago in their season opener 4-3. Uh, to three. Did you have any thoughts on that game? Yeah, I thought the team looked really good. Um, finally, we were able to see the Flyers put together a full 60 minutes. They looked cohesive. They looked exciting. And it was worth paying attention to, finally. <laughs> yeah, they looked good. And the star of that game, Travis Konechny, with two goals and an assist. And uh, looking like a legitimate sniper, which this team desperately needs. Oh, absolutely. It was amazing to see Konechny have some highlight reel goals. And finally, a guy that can put the puck in the corner of the net. Uh, yeah, so Konechny has looked good during the preseason. And I mean, if if he can be... The one big piece missing from the Flyers has been a sniper. And, you know, he, he's been great at scoring at even strength in the past. I, I think like 40 of his 46 goals so far in the NHL have been even strength. So, I mean, he's looking good. And if he can be that sniper this team desperately needs, I mean, that's a huge boost that they wouldn't even have to look outside the organization for. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And now that they've locked him up on a long-term deal, uh, which actually broke during our last show, Dan, uh, it's it's really great that he's going to have the opportunity to produce for many years to come. Yeah, and uh, what we talked about during our last show, last time we talked was early in the preseason. And the big story at the time was that Nolan Patrick was out with some mysterious injury. And he was out, and then you would see him again at practice once, and he'd be playing, or he'd make a public event somewhere. But he was still injured, and he was still out. Nobody was telling us what was going on. Well, since our last show, he was diagnosed with migraine disorder, and is still week to week. But, you know, at least it's not something that seems potentially long-term, but there's still a lot of mystery surrounding, you know, this whole diagnosis. Absolutely, Dan. Um, it's a, uh, you know, when I first heard migraine, it's unclear exactly what that means. Is it related to a concussion? Is it not? And it seems like based upon the things that I've heard is not related to a concussion, but is more so an illness rather than an injury. Um, and the main issue with that is that we have no idea how he's treating or what his prognosis is going to be. And, um, you know, even for someone who doesn't play a contact sport, it's a serious injury, but or illness that is, but for someone who plays hockey, it can be absolutely devastating for your career. I mean, I dealt with migraines as a kid from late elementary school to like mid high school every week without fail, I would get a migraine and that shit just sucks. It's the dirt race. I can't imagine trying to play a professional sport and compete at that level with this happening frequently. And, you know, I, I hope that 
he finds something that, you know, mo- most importantly as a person, you know, makes him okay and pain-free rather than sports. Like, that's not even in the question at the moment. But, man, I, I, j- I just hope as a person that he finds something that, uh, you know, uh, s- helps him and, and soothes the, uh, the the pain here. Because that, that, that's, that's one of those things. It just, just sucks to live with. Oh, yeah. And if you go back, I mean, I kind of – once, you know, this injury came out, I went back and I kind of created a very brief timeline as to what's been going on with Nolan Patrick. And I think at this point, you can call him an injury-prone player. Um, I don't think that that is a negative term. It doesn't mean that he's doing this on purpose. But he is absolutely an injury-prone player. And if you if you're supposed to be the 1C of the future that – basically takes over the Claude Giroux era. I don't know anymore if he's the guy, and that's a real tough thing to say, but he's certainly trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, his first two seasons were essentially identical with an early season injury, then he comes back in a real slow start, and then you know kind of picks it up in the last couple weeks or so of the season. He looks really good and gives everybody hope again for the following season. And, you know, the fact that we're already trending in that direction again, it's just, it's, it sucks. You want so much more from a former second overall pick. Oh, yes. So I'm going to lay it out for you now, Dan. I've got, I've tracked his injuries, I think, fairly closely for the past, let's see, seven years or so, dating back to juniors. And I'm just going to lay this out and then we can talk about it. So go back to 2011, 2012 in juniors, broken collarbone. The following year, same thing, missed a couple of months. Then in 2014, 2015, had a groin injury or a lower body injury, missed at least a month at that point. In 2016, he had off-season sports hernia surgery. Uh, In 16, 17, he had again groin LBI issue out for a couple of months during that season. 16, 17, he also had a knee injury. Then in the summer of 2017, after he was drafted by the Flyers, he had that mysterious facial infection. Uh, And then in October of 2017, had a concussion. The following October of 2018, had another concussion. And he missed at least, I I think it was the last uh, two games of last season in April 2019, which, you know, we're not sure exactly what was going on there. But then we know based upon what I think Chuck Fletcher said a few weeks ago, that Nolan Patrick's migraine started in June of 2019 and have lasted to the present. So, you know, for a guy that just turned 21 years old, that track record of injuries does not sit well. Yeah, and I remember one of the biggest things when they drafted him was, you know, that he was like the most injury prone uh, second overall pick in recent memory or something, and that it was going to be the biggest uh, deterrent for other teams. So it's just, I don't know. I've always liked Nolan Patrick. I wanted them to draft him. You know, I, I see a lot of people that are like, oh, why didn't they get Heiskanen or, or Pedersen? But, yeah. you know, <laughs> at, I wanted him at the time, and I, I'm not going to recant that, but like, man, it, now it's <laughs> now it's like, you know, what really is this guy's ceiling. I don't really know anymore. Yeah. It's really frustrating. And you know, the flyers get that one nugget 
They get that one golden nugget of moving up from what 12 to two or 13 to two, whatever it was, in in the 2017 draft. And I agree with you, Dan. I was I was on board to take Patrick at two if he was still there after the Devils took Heischer. Um Obviously, hindsight's 2020 20 now with with Heiskanen is phenomenal in Dallas, um, and uh, and Pedersen in Vancouver is just lighting it up. But at the time, I agree. I mean, I wanted him, but. You know, the only thing in these situations, you try to find someone to blame. And I can't blame Nolan Patrick. These are injuries. It's not something that he's trying to do. Uh, I don't I don't blame him. But on the other hand, maybe the Flyers medical staff under Ron Eckstall should have taken a look at those injuries and 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 said, you know what, I'm not sure if this is the right pick. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But um, I want somebody to blame if if this continues trending downward. (laughs) And of all the years they get a second round pick, you know, it's not Patrick Line. It's it's goddamn <laughs> right. Patrick. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. It's not Patrick Line. It's it, it, it's not even, you know, Mitch Marner who was a fourth, but still like anybody in that echelon except for this. It's just God, it's unfortunate. I, I just I really hope he comes back at some point this season and plays well and does something. But you know, and it, it makes the Kevin Hayes pick up this summer all the more valuable because I mean if they didn't pick up Kevin Hayes and they stuck with uh, uh Nolan Patrick as their second line center that means Scott Lawton would be the second line center right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a yeah yeah that is scary what yeah it's absolutely yeah. scary and it and it may go back to I mean maybe we give Chuck Fletcher more credit for the deal that he gave you know everybody was very against it myself included I know you were as well um you know based on term but if if Fletcher knew in June that Patrick was having these migraine issues and that those issues possibly started at the end of last season, maybe he thought, wait a second, Nolan may not be a sure thing for our team, at least next year or in the future. So I got to lock up a 2C for the foreseeable future come hell or high water. Yeah, and, and I was – been very critical of Kevin Hayes and I still hate that contract it's gonna bite them in the ass sooner or later but Kevin Hayes as a player has been a lot more than I ever thought he would be thus far he's been great through the preseason and looked good during uh, game one of the year and and that is crucial at this point that Kevin Hayes comes in you know with the head of steam and comes in and really starts dominating as a player because it's something the flyers need and it's good that if they're going to invest as much money in somebody that he's actually going to be playing like the dominant player that they need him to be yeah he's been impressive so far i mean he really has and i think also from a leadership uh standpoint uh, the fact that he's familiar with av highly familiar with av and uh you see I, I guess he's getting that one c treatment at this point um, uh, based upon, um, game one, but I think he's, I think he's that veteran voice in the locker room that the team has needed, or at least a supplemental voice to the veterans they currently have. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to tell we're not in the room, but, um, that behind the glass series, which I'm sure all of us have watched, it's kind of cool to get an insight and to see these guys interact with each other, at least for 15 to 20 second clips. And it's hard to glean anything from that, but, the clips they've shown have shown guys like Kevin Hayes taking a role in that room. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he does seem that the leader and I don't remember who it was, but somebody wrote an article, uh, you know, about how he's kind of the guiding force right now to get the team comfortable with Lehman Yo as well. 
he's kind of that uh, stopgap, kind of helping you know both sides adjust there. So I think he's definitely playing a much more valuable role than anybody thought he would. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think they're they're very lucky to have him right now. And yeah, I mean, if Nolan Patrick is goes on LTIR, which we should get an announcement at some point this week, and from and from the B reporters that I've been following, they say they're expecting one too. Um, you know, if he goes out on LTIR, they they absolutely need Hayes, and they may not be able to count on Patrick for the rest of the season. Yeah, and, uh, and beyond. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, who knows? This could be something that, if he gets medicated properly, he could be back in a couple months. If not, and it takes some experimentation, he may be gone for the whole season. And as far I believe today, they said that he was still week to week. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and. I think that one of the comparables, and I haven't looked into this, but I know that Nick Bukestad has been a guy that has experienced migraines in this league and has come back, you know, and been effective. But, you know, I haven't followed his career over the past couple of years, so I'm not familiar with exactly what his timeline was. But he might be a player that we could use as a comparable. I believe it was Nick Bukestad and Nick Backstrom as well dealt with it. Mm. So Mm -hmm. uh, both of them are doing fine in the NHL these days, especially Nick Backstrom. So, you know, there is hope there that he comes back. But, I mean, even if he comes back, you're still dealing with a player that, uh, like we were talking about, we don't know what his ceiling is right now. You know, he's obviously the third-line center behind Katuri and Hayes, and that's good. And given what the rosters look like, I mean, he's going to be playing with JVR. And, I mean, right now it's JVR. He's on the third line. And and maybe Farabee once – you know, they get the cap space to play with uh, the roster a little bit. But, I mean, he's not going to be suffering on the third line no matter who he plays with. No, no. I think he should be – I mean, if he can get in a lineup and actually actually play consistent games, yeah, he'll be fine, I think. Um, the problem is that he's the kind of guy that – and I'm getting the sense based upon his injury history here is that he's going to be in the lineup for a month. He'll be out for two months. In the lineup for two months, out for another month. And – Unfortunately, with a player that is your 1C or 2C of the future, you can't have that inconsistency. No matter how good he might be for short stretches, which he hasn't really shown anyway, but even if he had, you can't deal with that as a player that is playing that high in the lineup, unfortunately. And I don't want to sound too negative about him, but um, and it's not his fault. Again, I'm not blaming him for this, but I'm getting some very, very strange vibes from the way that this is shaking out. Yeah, and it's felt that way all preseason as well. You know, the fact that they hit it as long as they did, and now it's kind of like, you know, week to week, and they're playing with medication and the stuff. It, it all does kind of have a weird kind of, you know, vibe to it as far as what the future holds. But, you know, who knows? But uh, his injury has opened some roster spots for two young players named Connor Bunneman and Carson Torinsky. And... They earned their roster spot during the preseason. They both played extremely well uh, in the bottom six, and they both played well during the season opener against Chicago, much to uh, a lot of the fans' chagrin because they didn't want him there because he's not Joel Farabee that everybody was so angry about. So uh, <laughs> what has been your take on the uh, Connor Bunneman and Carson Trinsky situations? Yeah, I've been I've been fine with them. I really have had no issue with – their usage whatsoever in the preseason and through game one. Cause like you said, they seem to have earned their playing time. Um, both guys are capable of playing bottom six role. I think that Torinsky has been elevated at times to the third line. And, um, and when those guys are out there, 
they are making shit happen. They are constantly forechecking. The puck seems to constantly be in the opponent's defensive zone. They're creating some scoring chances. They're not getting burned on the defensive end. They're doing exactly what you want a high-level, high-functioning fourth line or half-third line to do. Um, so I can't, I can't say you should remove them. I wouldn't take them out of the lineup. Uh, I'm totally cool with that. And it was cool that Torinsky's parents surprised him in the lobby at the hotel in Prague. <laughs> yeah, he flew halfway across the world to uh, watch his NHL debut. Very cool. But this has been something that I've been uh, yelling at idiots on Twitter about for a week now. Like, fans are angry that Farabee didn't make the team. And instead of taking it out on Chuck Fletcher for putting them so close to the cap that they don't have that kind of room or getting mad at Levin Yo for picking them or whatever the happened, they've been tearing apart Carson Twinsky and Connor Bunneman as players. And that's the shit that pisses me off because Terensky and Bunneman earned their spots during the preseason and they've been playing perfectly fine there and they played perfectly fine in the first game. And everybody, oh, they're going to suck. Oh, they're the bottom pair. People don't seem to understand that given the ice time, it is better for Torinsky and Bunneman to eat bottom pair minutes at the NHL level than it is Frost or Farabee. It's good to give Frost and Farabee time in the minors to get those big minutes every night and play and let them develop. Why is this so hard for people to understand? I don't know. Yeah, I agree 100 percent, Dan. I've been I'm very patient with the prospects as well. I mean, you look at Joel Farabee. He had a great, um, great season at BU last year. But the kid is what, maybe 20? I don't even know if he's 20 years old yet. And obviously he came up. He had a pretty good preseason. Um, still couldn't put the puck in the net, but he played very well, very mature for his age. And at the end of the day, it really is only going to help him to play at least a little bit of the season down in Lehigh Valley. I think even if he sh- even if he astounded us during preseason, I still would have no problem with him getting a little bit of experience with the Phantoms. That said, I get annoyed with the Flyers and any team really that exacerbate that process. Like a guy like Travis Sanheim a few years ago that had already been playing in the AHL for a year and then comes up and makes the team and then gets sent back and forth. That's when I start to have significant problems with the way a team handles players. But given a guy like Joel Farabee and his timeline, I think it's appropriate and there's no real issue as long as he's not rotting down there for a year plus. Farabee is 19, he turns 20 at the end of February, and Morgan Frost is 20. So, And they're both coming to their, I mean, he's coming from college to the NHL. He looked fine during the preseason, but there was nothing that said, I need that kid on the roster. There there was no, you know, moment where it was a no-brainer, no question. He played fine, but he didn't knock the door down, you know, to, to secure that spot no questions asked. Like, there is room to grow and improve and make the jump at the pro level. And that's all this is right now. It's not I, – I think it's just, uh, people got so angry when he sent down. And, and to an extent, I get it. But, you know, I also get developing your prospects. We've waited this long with all these prospects. I would rather wait one more season and do it right rather than just to rush them and say they're here. Right now, the roster as is should be – you know, more than capable of holding their own for the rest of the season while these kids get some playing time with the Phantoms to make the leap to the professional game the right way. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right on with Farabee. Now the question becomes, it's a little trickier when you're talking about Phil Myers here, uh, where he he had an up and down preseason. I didn't think he was great. He had like one bad game against Boston. And I think the rest of his games were fine. He wasn't spectacular, but he was fine. And the fact that they have eight defensemen forced them to say, okay, well, who can we – who doesn't need to clear waivers to go to the Phantoms? Oh, Phil Myers. Well, we're just going to send him down because there's no chance of another team actually taking him. Uh, and I guess I'm okay with it for now, but I'm not going to be okay with it for much longer than about two months. What about you? It's such a – hard situation to be in because you know you got essentially seven defensemen right now on the roster five of them aren't going anywhere Pro Rovniski and Gosses Beer Braun and Sanheim Haig and Moran I mean they're here they clearly like Robert Haig because he's playing and you know you can't do a whole lot with Samuel Moran he's going to be the seventh and you know you can't put either one of them on waivers because Chances are Moran gets claimed. Robert Haig probably gets claimed as well, given he has some ice time. You know, Sam Moran uh, is still relatively unknown, but the fact that he's, you know, 6'7 and only 24 and only on a $700,000 contract for two more seasons, like, he's going to get claimed. Robert Haig is a veteran. He has 160 games under his belt or whatever it is at this point, and only at 1.1, he's going to get claimed. So I don't... I don't know. It depends what they're thinking is moving forward. But yes, they have backed themselves in a situation with Phil Myers where he didn't earn a roster spot. He didn't take a roster spot away from anybody else. And he was the only one eligible to clear waivers. So, you know, they don't have any choice. There's a whole... I, I don't know how this situation is going to work out unless they wait until the trade deadline or something and clear out Robert Haig or Moran or Braun or whatever and, you know, make space for him. But I don't know how this one is just going to naturally work itself out unless there are injuries involved. No, it doesn't make any sense to me either. And they didn't do anything. I mean, the only thing they did in the offseason was they brought in two veterans who I still believe are are going to be playing above their heads uh, in a first and second pair role. Um, and if they want to do that for a, for a while, maybe up until Thanksgiving or so, unless, you know, the team is in first place and on a president's trophy track. But, you know, short of that, I think he, at some point you have to get these younger guys some playing time. And if they fail, then they fail. It's fine. But you can't just constantly be inserting these veteran players who aren't really that good anyway above them and they're constantly on the bottom floor bottom pair uh sitting on the bench or being pushed back down uh, to lehigh valley that is not going to get you anywhere um and and the flyers need to stop doing that uh especially you know sam moore we've talked about it ad nauseum just figure the fuck out what he's doing i mean my god he's doing nothing sitting on the bench and at this point i don't even care if they lose games but figure out what these players are, what they can offer, and what they can't offer. Like, just getting that knowledge is enough for me, and the rest be damned. Because you've invested so many resources in these guys, so many picks, just figure it the fuck out. (laughs) And it's like, that was the biggest failure under Ron Hextall, was he loved to draft, but he had no interest in letting the kids make the team. And then last year, once Scott Gordon took over, he kind of played some of the kids but Moran sat as a healthy scratch for a month after he came back from his rehab 
And nobody fucking knew what he was capable of because Scott Gordon was riding that 5% chance of making the playoffs for, you know, four or five weeks, whatever it was. And we still don't know what Sam Moran had. He played five meaningless games toward the end of the last season, looking good in the process. He looked good during the preseason, but they clearly still see Robert Haig as the sixth guy. So <laughs> what do you do with the guy at this point? Like, I want the guy to succeed. I want him to succeed here. But Christ, let him play somewhere. Yeah, I... I mean, this is my problem. Look, you're not winning jack shit with Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun on your defense. You're not. You're not winning anything with those guys. Maybe you sneak into the playoffs, maybe, but you ain't winning anything. So there's that. And then you have Sam Morin sitting on the bench. You're not learning anything about him because he's not playing. So where is that getting you? You're not going left. You're not going right. You're just sitting stagnant, doing nothing. Uh, and I hope that this situation doesn't turn into Phil Myers is Sam Moore and sitting on the bench, not getting playing time. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. It, it, it's in all honesty, it's probably going to take a massive injury to move the needle here. Um, or the team totally going in the tank. One of those two, if the team floats around playoff contention they're not going to move a lot of these guys around and it's going to be even more frustrating because we're going to have Morin sitting on the bench still and, and Phil Myers is still going to be playing in the AHL, which I think is not an appropriate league for him for more than maybe a month or two. I mean, <laughs> that's eight defensemen. You would need to have two injuries just to get you know, Myers and Moran. Both <laughs> in. But I mean, it's not impossible given a full season, but you know, that shouldn't be what you're doing. You know, I, I tore apart Matt Niskin on the last show because I didn't like his preseason. But I, I think in terms of the acquisitions, the bringing in Braun seems like less and less of a smart move. I mean, it, it's tied up their salary cap in $3.8 million, So it's prevented Farabee and Myers from making the team as is. But it's also just given a spot to a guy who's a veteran, quote-unquote, for just the sake of being a veteran, like you're tying up, he, he single-handedly is affecting so many aspects of this team because his contract is big and he just happens to be here one more year. I, I haven't hated his play. He wasn't exactly great during uh, the game one of the season, but I mean, I didn't hate him during the preseason, but man, this acquisition is just, it's tying their hands in so many different ways and it, it, it sucks. Yeah. What is, <laughs> I guess the, I guess the philosophy is that, Justin Braun brings such a high caliber of veteran presence and uh, whatever um, whatever to the room that it's going to heighten the play and the experience level and the confidence of guys like Provorov and Sanheim and Gostasbehere. And that intangible will take all those guys to the next level and therefore that's worth more than having a guy like Sam Warren or Phil Myers develop in that probably fifth or sixth spot on the defense. If you were to weigh those things on balance, I think it's kind of ridiculous to think that the former would take precedent, especially given that you already brought in Matt Niskanen to do that exact role. So their, I guess, analysis of this situation and justification as to why Braun is here it's just incongruent to me. It's confusing, and I think it's the wrong analysis. Now, if they want to do this for a month or two, make sure the team gets off on the right track, get some confidence with the defensive guys, fine. 
But if this lasts any longer than perhaps, I don't know, uh, December, I'm going to be infuriated by, by him on the team. Um, so we'll see, you know, right now it's okay. We'll see, you know, it's going to have to a hot start, see if we can, you know, get everybody going under AV system and whatnot. Fine. But this is not a long-term solution. I, I think the, uh, the benefit to that scenario that you're predicting is Elaine Vigneault has not been afraid to shake his lineups up. So I, you know, I don't think it's the Dave Haxtell forcing the square pig in a round hole with Robert Haig for the past two years where he's going to play him no matter what. I think at some point we are going to see some circulation here between the players. I don't know if that includes Phil Myers without an injury, but I don't think we're going to... Christ almighty, I hope we don't see Sam Rand riding the bench for 82 games this season. I hope that, you know, that we do see some circulation, uh, you know, w- throughout the blue line. Because it, it, it's what they need right now. Everybody's kind of been playing with everybody else. You know, they, they rode... They tried the defense pair. It was Provrov, Niskanen, Gossespierre, Braun, Sanheim, Haig. Or uh, Sanheim, Myers, I guess. And they said Myers down, but... That's what they're going for, and that wasn't working, so I changed it up, and now it's it's different. So I hope that uh, Elaine Vigneault's system of changing players and kind of not being afraid to change things up, you know, remedies this situation in due time. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dan. I think that Elaine Vigneault is not afraid of of his management structure, whereas our previous coaches were. They were at the mercy of the general manager. Dave Hackstall was at the mercy of Ron Hackstall. And he he was afraid to lose. And I don't think Elaine Vigneault is afraid to lose. He's too experienced and too confident in the way he does things. And I don't think he's going to just automatically defer to veterans 100% of the time like Dave Haxtell did. Um, so I think that is is going to be a step in the right direction, at least from the coach's perspective. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it, <laughs> I'm glad. Let me tell you, I was neutral to a Yo's hiring at the time. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't necessarily liking it. I, I, mainly because we were still hurt over you know Joel Quinville going to Florida. But let me tell you what, I really, really like Yo at this point. I, I think he is the perfect guy for this job at the moment. I'm still not sold on these assistant coaches just because Mike Yao is incompetent. But <laughs> you know. I, I, I really, really like what I've seen of Lehman Yo, and I like the attitude he brings. There's no nonsense kind of attitude. Like, when was the last time we had a coach like this? Maybe the early days of Peter Laviolette? Yeah, and I don't even know if Lavi was this intense with his players. I mean, he was, but there was kind of an element of comedy there because he, like, I think he did, I think Laviolette did some of his antics, like, in an ironic way. Yeah, um, yeah. But, there's nothing ironic about Elaine Vigneault. <laughs> he, he is a very, very, very confident and stern and aggressive human being. And yeah, I love it too. I agree. I am I am so happy that he is the Flyers coach right now. I think he's just what the doctor ordered. Um, and I love that he's holding veteran players accountable, which is something we haven't seen for many, many years here. He's a veteran. He's grizzled. He's been here before. He's dealt with this shit. So I, I, I like him. I, he's just the attitude he has brought is just it's been great. It's so great to have some you know human life behind that bench rather than that animatron Dave Haxtell. So, goddamn, I'm excited that he's here. Yeah, yeah, and Haxtell is up in Toronto with Mike Babcock, which I am still baffled. <laughs> I cannot understand what they saw in Dave Haxtell. Said, oh yeah. 
he was phenomenal in Philadelphia. And by the way, he went to Sweden for the summer and learned how to coach. So <laughs> I'm just, we're gonna I'm hire just him. begging for Mike Babcock to get fired just to put Dave Haxall in charge. Oh, oh my God. God. Be Can you imagine? Fantastic. That would be unbelievable, especially to see the Toronto media and rabid fan base up there be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> he thought so, the media was bad the, here. Jesus. Yeah. And with the Flyers and one thing that I wish the Flyers did, and this may just be like a team thing, is I wish they would allow media access to the assistant coaches. And um, so like in Toronto, I don't know if they do that or not. At least I don't think they do because I haven't heard anything from Dave Haxel, any quotes like that. Um, but I would love to hear what Michelle Terrian has to say on a daily basis about this team, <laughs> about players in general, because he is a freaking nut job. And if you want entertainment, you got it with that guy. Ah, that'd be great. <laughs> Just especially working with the forwards, you know, guys like Jake Voracek who don't necessarily bring their all every night and stuff. Oh, be great to hear quotes from him. Just tear these people apart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so how'd you think of the love fest of uh, Jake over the Czech Republic? Yeah, I guess he he showed everybody the town. Well, it must have been nice that people actually like him over there. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's a strange, strange guy. We've talked about him a lot on the show too, but um, I think that he's realizing that Elaine Vigneault is a no nonsense coach, and that if he you know, takes too many penalties or doesn't back check or something, it will not go unnoticed here. I think AV will be the first person to call him out. And maybe we see a different level of play out of Jake this season. Who knows? That's definitely something to keep an eye on. That's the hope. And, I mean, he did seem uh, fairly noticeable during the preseason of Game 1, but a lot of that was, you know, leading up to the Czech Republic and the Czech Republic itself. So, I mean, he was obviously the center of attention there. Who knows what he's going to look like, you know, in December when things kind of settle down and stop worrying. Hopefully he looks good. But, uh, you know, I, I hope we see more of him, especially he's on the top line as of right now with Hayes and Giroux. So, I mean, he's given uh, every chance to succeed right out of the gate this year. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I think that's a great line. I think that's a great idea. Let's see what they can do. Um, if you can get Jake to do the little things in terms of back checking and make the right decisions on offense, this is, a, this is actually another thing I want to bring up real quick too. Was under the AV system, it seems like the Flyers are, or at least AV is trying to get them to abandon that tic tac toe offensive mentality. They were always trying to make these highlight reel passing plays to shoot into an open net, and it rarely worked. But I think what AV is doing is that he's saying, no, shoot the puck, get the puck on net, and good things will happen if you're able to do that. And I think that directly will apply to a guy like Jake Voracek, who is part of that tic-tac-toe mentality. Um, so it'll be great to see on Wednesday uh, if if the team continues that kind of offensive mentality that they had against the Blackhawks. God, that fucking tic-tac-toe passing was just, it was so bad. The, the blind cross-ice passes to nobody looking for the beautiful highlight reel one-timer rather than just setting up a play and working with it. Every fucking time they got into the zone under Dave Haxtell, they tried that shit. It was oh, so annoying. God. It was so infuriating because how many times were we watching Flyers games over the years and you can see from the TV that they're overpassing the puck. Or that they made one too many passes and they missed, uh, or they missed some shooting opportunity. And a lot of times that shot's going to go in or it's going to have a rebound, a juicy rebound that somebody can pop in. Or something's going to happen. 
but you can't sit there like hockey doesn't work that way at this level. Maybe maybe in juniors it does or in other leagues, but in the NHL it does not work like that. You're not going to be able to do that anymore. Yeah, it was just God. I, I ha. Oh. That was so frustrating, and we really haven't seen a lot of that, uh, at least during game one. I haven't seen it. I really didn't notice it during the preseason either, so uh, no, hopefully no. Elaine Mignot is uh, banishing that from the mindset of these idiots. I think he is. If I forget which episode it was on Behind the Glass. Uh, it was either the first or second, but there's a clip of AV basically going to town on the guys during a practice saying, shoot the puck, like stop messing around with the puck and shoot the damn thing. And I was like, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for saying that. This is what I want. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we talked about the lines a little bit. Let's read off the current lines as of today's practice. They are Giroux, Hayes, Voracek, Lindblom, Couturier, Konechny, JVR, Lawton, Torinsky, Bunneman, Raffle, Pitlick. The defense pairs are Provorov, Braun, Gostaspier, Haig, Sanheim, Niskanen, Miranda's the seventh. I really, 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 really like that second line of Lindblom, Couturier, and Konechny. Because, I mean, they tore it up during game one. They looked like just a machine out there, those three. Lindblom looks great. I hope that he finally has a breakout season offensively because that's kind of been the one thing that's missing from his game. His two-way play has been solid as hell since he hit the NHL. And if he can add some offense to there, oh, oh boy, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. One thing about Oscar Lindblom that I really noticed in game one is that and, you know, I guess partially last season, but especially in game one of this year was his his play along the boards is very good. Um, He's actually I think he's lost weight, but he's a little bit bigger than you may think if you saw him in person, um, or at least he plays bigger, where he's able to, especially in the offensive zone, he's able to trap the puck. He's winning those battles, it seems like. He's able to uh, to beat his man and to at least get the puck out to either defenseman or somebody else who's near the blue line to either shoot or distribute. And that's a really, really great attribute that we haven't seen out of the Flyers in a long time. Guys that can win board battles on a consistent basis. He is currently listed at 6'1", 196. So, I mean, he plays like a guy that's like 6'3", 220. You know, he, he does. He, he plays yeah. like a big dude. So, God, if he if he can find that scoring touch, which, you know, he did seem to show during uh, game one there with uh, Konechny. So, man, he could be a uh, legit star they have in the making here. And that it would be uh, another bonus point there for this team that needs all the help they can get. So... Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I, I mean, definitely keep him going. It seems like AV is a fan of his. Um, so as long as I think Lindblom keeps doing the little things right, um, he's going to be fine. He's going to be just fine in the system here. Let's talk about some news that broke today that isn't really important, but it's kind of frustrating. Uh, Felix Sandstrom and Pascal Burge, for what it's worth, uh, both sent to the Reading Royals. And... This one kind of bothers me for the reason that the whole point of both Felix Sandstrom and Krell Ustminko coming to North America and playing this year was Ustminko was going to be in the ECHL to get his legs under him at the North American level, and Sandstrom was supposed to get reps with the Phantoms. And then they brought in fucking J.F. Barubi, who... uh, talked about this a little before the show went on the air. He was a hot mess during the Phantoms season opener on Saturday. I, I'm disappointed that that happened. I, now, all of a sudden, the problem that they were looking to avoid at the AHL, they have in the ECHL, which is both Sonstrom and Usminko need reps, and you can only play one goalie a night. So, like, what are they thinking here? 
Well, the whole problem is that they're overcompensating for the goalie injury carousel that was established last season under Ron Hextall. They, for some reason, think that they had to get a guy like J.F. Baruby to come in here because when Brian Elliott eventually gets hurt, um, they're going to need somebody to come up and back up Carter Hart. And they weren't going to allow that to happen with a guy like Sandstrom, Ustamenko, or Lyon. So they have Baruby here. Now, one of the results of doing that is that magically, Baruby is your starter for the Phantoms. Thereby, he takes away playing time from all the other guys. So that, in turn, will push guys like Sandstrom uh, and Ustamenko down to the ECHL and will create a problem as you have articulated perfectly. So it all stems from that. And if they had a competent backup goalie that was not Brian Elliott, this probably would not be an issue because they wouldn't have gotten J.F. Baruby and you would see a guy like Sandstrom get his reps um, with the Phantoms. And it is extremely frustrating to see the team. And I know sometimes, rarely, but sometimes teams use the ECHL as a goalie development area and you see guys that can advance through that. But I think it's just too far removed, especially for a guy like Sandstrom, who I think the Flyers drafted, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. I don't have the stat in front of me or the or his chart in front of me, but they drafted him years ago. And he was playing in the SHL, which is a top league. Now, granted, he was injured for um, uh, some lengthy stints during that, but he has a ton of experience. He doesn't need to go down to the ECHL right now. I would just let him play in a rotation with the Phantoms. Why are you trying to preserve Baruby and Lyon? Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling, but this is it's just very frustrating to me too, Dan. He was uh, drafted 70th overall in 2015. So. Okay, so... Four and, years ago. And you're yeah. absolutely right. That is how they handled it. They they want a guy to be the swing goaltender in case anything happens. But that begs the whole question to begin with, why the hell did you bring Brian Elliott back? If you don't <laughs> trust him and he's 34 and injury prone and going to break a hip sooner or later this season, find a backup rather than bringing some guy in. Like <laughs> Their AHL tandem right now is Lion and J.F. Baruby. Like, I don't want either one of those guys in the Flyers' crease, let alone the yeah. Phantoms' crease. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to be using the AHL as a as an area to train and develop guys. You're not supposed to be using the ECHL. That is a, that is a league of last resort for that sort of thing. There is no reason that J.F. Baruby and Alex Lyon have to take precedent for, on the Phantoms right now. Zero. Why do they have to do that? We know what they are. Neither one of them has a future with the Flyers in any way, shape, or form. Are Sandstrom and Ustamenko really that atrocious? Atrocious, not even remotely capable that they need to be sent to Reading? I mean, I would highly doubt that. I just, like, I saw people on Twitter, oh, there's no reason to get angry about this. And there really isn't, but, like, it's one of those things that just, like... Why is this happening? Why are you bringing well, Peruby? Why do they, it goes back to what we were talking about the defense? You bring in all these guys, and in the process of bringing in these veterans, quote unquote, you're hurting your prospects. You're hurting Phil Myers because you brought in Justin Braun and Niskanen, and you're hurting Felix Sandstrom because you brought in fucking JF Peruby. Like, yeah. <sighs> well, here's a reason to get angry at it is because because the whole plan here is to have. 
Carter Hart be your number one this year, Carter Hart be your number one next year, and the Flyers don't re-sign Brian Elliott, and you ascend Felix Sandstrom from the Phantoms into the Flyers to be Carter Hart's backup, and you know, you're paying your goalies, you know, I don't know, two million dollars, something like that. So it's a low cap hit. And you have guys that are capable. You've got your star of the future, and you've got a guy that's waiting in the wings that still has potential. If you leave Sandstrom down in the ECHL for most of the season, then at the end of the year, you will be in a position to say, oh, well, we can't you know, elevate a guy from the Reading Royals to the Flyers. That can't happen. He has to spend a year with the Phantoms. Well, that's what he should be doing now. So – if they want to do this for a week or two or for a month, fine, to get his feet wet with the North American game. All right, fine. You want to do that? No problem. But you better get him reps with the Phantoms this season because if you don't, that will be the excuse. I guarantee it. Yeah, this whole situation is just dumb. I just – I don't know. It's the exact same thing we talked about with the defense. Like now the only way – now, granted, I, I think it's only a matter of time for Elliot gets hurt. Just given his history, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a surprise when he goes down for a month or two. But, like, at that point, what are you thinking here? Then you're going to have, what, fucking Alex Lyon playing backup to Carter Hart? Jeff Berube? Then what happens when they get lit up? You know, <laughs> Then you're going to rely solely on Carter Hart. Then you're going to put the pressure on him to start so many games. And what happens if he gets hurt? Then all of a sudden you're back in the same carousel you were last season. God, the, I, I think the biggest mistake they made this summer was not addressing the backup goaltender situation with a legitimate player. Yeah, yeah, it was infuriating. I was, I think you and I were uh, some of the few people, you know, once we heard the news about Elliot, I was like, no, I hate this move. I absolutely hate this move. And a lot of people, oh, you know, oh, we love Moose. You know, he's a great locker room guy. He helps save our season at the end of the year. I don't, who cares? I mean, no, like you got to think about how the Ascension plan is going to work with Carter Hart here. I mean, no, absolutely not. Carter Hart has this season and next season left on his ELC before he uh, presumably gets an ass ton of money to play there. So, you know, you're going to need a cheap option, and that option is supposedly Sonstrom. And this is something I heard Flyers Twitter say all season. Oh, well, if Brian Elliott gets there, oh, well, Sonstrom will come up. He'll be the backup before the end of the season. Well, he'll have locked down. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I didn't expect him to anyway, because I knew they were going to give him the reps, but, like, they're clearly going to go give him all the reps they can down in the fucking EZHL. So, God, I just... He's not coming so up. There's, he is... Once you are down in the ECHL, you are not leapfrogging the Phantoms. No. You're not doing that. You need to play with the Phantoms for a, almost a year, maybe more, to basically have the right to become an NHL backup. Um, so that that timeline is not is not going to work at this point. But we'll see. I mean, I think Baruby and Lyon are just unnecessary pieces. They're wasting time with the phantoms right now if you want to keep one of them fine you know as your third option in the event elliot is hurt or when he is hurt fine but both of them i mean if you want baruby as your veteran guy fine but but then why the hell is alex Lyon there i mean like what are they doing i I just I hate this whole situation. I just, yeah. again, it, it, people, oh, don't get angry. I, I get why you're not angry. It's not the end of the world, but it's a situation that shouldn't be happening. If we're going to get angry that Farabee and Myers are getting sent down, let's get angry that Sandstrom's being demoted to, you know, the double A team at this point. There's, yeah. there's no reason for it. Yeah, I think that's the thing that that 
that you should get you know frustrated and angry at the Farabee Meyer situation, like we mentioned. I don't think is that big of a deal right now, um, especially with Farabee. I think that's fine for now. But it's it's your other guys that should be your backup goalies next season that are in a league below the league they should be in. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I'm I'm sure injuries will happen at some point and things will get shaken up, but. I don't know. It shouldn't have to come down to that, whether it be, uh, you know, the main roster defenseman or your, you know, minor league goaltending. It's just you should not be. I get they're relying on injuries and, and they're building kind of a fail safe there. I understand. But at the same time, if it's hurting your product beforehand, if you're so worried about injuries beforehand, like that shouldn't be what you're doing here you should be building a team to compete and have a couple viable options if there are injuries not assuming that everything is going to get hurt and you're going to have the depths to fill those injuries i just i don't get that that mindset and that seems to be exactly what they're doing here mm. well chuck fletcher did mention that there's going to be quite a bit of movement um at least between the flyers and phantoms over the first like six weeks of the season and I, i'm not sure if that's a good thing or not i think you probably want to establish consistency with your teams when you start the season. But I mean, I think there's a good chance that we see a lot of guys up and down and up and down, uh, depending upon how, how the flyers go. And they have uh Twerinsky and Bunneman do not have to clear waivers. Everybody else on the roster with the exception of Carter Hart would have to clear waivers. So they do have two options to play with or you can, you know, Frost, Farabee, Rubsov, Robiev, you know, whoever else they have there to, uh, to, uh, you know, kind of cycle out there if they feel the time being uh, mm -hmm. necessary. So I, I'm, I was curious to the comment myself, you know, again, the injuries are going to play a role at some point, but, um, I, I don't know what they mean by that. I think once they get this cap situation figured out and Walensky's cleared and sent down, they will have uh, a little bit of space to play with to make things happen there. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, until then, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess we just got to deal with what we have right here. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it really depends. I mean, like I said, how the Flyers go. If If they start off atrocious like they usually do, we may see more um, – more people being sent up and down and more fluidity there. If, if they start off great and you know, they're, they're six, seven and oh, um, we may see things hold tight because you don't want to disrupt the apple cart at that point. Um, so I think, I think the flyers, how they play and the results that we get in October will kind of give us a barometer as to how much movement we see. Well, the Flyers have their home opener against the Devils tomorrow night. They then head out to Western Canada for the Canucks on Saturday, the Flames on Tuesday, Oilers Wednesday. So, more traveling ahead for a team that just got back from Europe. So, <laughs> I'm sure they're <laughs> loving that right now. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll get to watch one game tomorrow. And then no one's going to watch anything. Maybe the Saturday night game, although what time is that? Like 10 or 10.30 That's start? That's a 10 p.m. start, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, it's a Saturday, but still, you know, you're talking 1, 1.30 a.m. at that point. Um, it's, but it's – thank God they get it over with early, I guess, but it's it's really a downer to start the season again. <laughs> <laughs> Have a uh, game at 2 p.m. on a Friday. Now we're going to go 10 p.m. on a Saturday just – for more fun, I guess. And they play uh, 9 p.m. against the Flames and 9.30 against the Oilers. So, Flyers yeah. after dark early here. 
Oh, God. So, Dan, I wanted to get your opinion on something that just came out, I think, a few hours ago. It's a new feature of the Wells Fargo Center for fans called the Rage Room. Have you heard of this? Yeah, when you go in there and break shit with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Have you heard of something like that before? I have heard of this. Apparently, it's a relatively new thing people start. But, yeah, I, I have heard of this concept before. Yeah. It's how, it, it seems odd. It seems for, odd for a fucking sports arena, that's for sure. Yeah, like, it has <laughs> nothing to do with, with the actual game. I mean, look, I'm all for weird shit sometimes, but, like, I saw the Flyers promo video before we started the show tonight, and it was a video of Gritty uh, and one of the Flyers, I guess, PR employees in a room with a sledgehammer, like, breaking TVs and glasses and plates and shit like that. And I'm thinking, like... Why? Like, why do you need to have this? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I I haven't seen the video yet, but I, I did see, I got even an announcement here on my phone from the Flyers app, I think. But um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard of the concept before, but uh, at a sporting event, like, I sometimes the Flyers do want to make me hit shit with a hammer. So in that, I do understand what they're getting at here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just, uh, it seems odd to put that in a sports arena. They also have some kind of setup. I saw something earlier where they you have like a gritty uh, area, the gritty command center where you get your kids face painted to gritty and stuff. So, Oh, yeah, I saw that. It's basically you wear goggles and they blow a bunch of dust into your face and you inhale that and it gets lodged in your lungs to create lung cancer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I just need orange powder thrown in my face during a I thought that was very weird I work in an industry I work in a legal profession and I, I deal with a lot of toxic exposure cases and seeing something like that was like a total red flag to me I was like they're actually doing this wow that's, yeah, I saw that video crazy. where it looked like the Cheeto dust they threw the kid in his face and he starts <laughs> hacking it up afterwards I'm like awesome yeah, yeah, what are they thinking I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, there's like all these sorts of gimmicks. Like, you know, this is going to be a new season at the Wells Fargo Center due to new leadership in the Flyers with Valerie Camillo coming on, uh, basically repl uh, replacing Sean Tilger. And there's a lot of new stuff. And I can't see the previous regime doing, you know, the Flyers dust and the, the <laughs> rage room and all that shit. Because it's just, it's just over the top. It's just way, way overboard. Yeah, I know. I haven't been to the uh, Wells Fargo Center yet since it, but they had the chick on during uh, one of the preseason games and was talking about it. And I've seen pictures and stuff. And it definitely seems like a lot of gimmicks there this year to try and uh, make the fans feel like fans, I guess. But uh, in the process, yeah, that's a good way to put it. totally bizarre. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'll be going to that rage room at all, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that really breeds the right kind of behavior. It's like, hey, if you need to let out some steam, just go break shit. I mean, I, I don't know if that's really the best message that the team should be sending. <laughs> yeah, especially in Philadelphia when it's only a, you know, a couple bad goals away from bracelets being thrown on the ice. So, Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's only a matter of time before they have their gun range and their axe throwing range in there. That's probably for next season. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way things are going, who knows? But, uh, you know, it'll be uh, all the fun of the new and improved Wells Fargo Center. So Yeah, I haven't been down there yet myself. I'm probably – I'm not going to the home opener, but uh, I might be at the at the Dallas game uh, two Saturdays from now. So that should be fun. Well, uh, anything else you want to get off your chest here? 
Uh, no, I think we covered a lot. Uh, definitely excited uh, for tomorrow night. It'll be hopefully they come out not like they did against San Jose last season. Oh, I was God. at that game, 8-2 loss. It was disgusting, horrible, and they need to come out and give the home fans something to cheer for. God, that, that, that game is like burned into my mind for the rest of time. Came out there and just got their shit kicked into the ground, and then they never changed anything until Ron Hextall was fired a month and a half later. So. Nope. Yeah. Ugh, fucking disaster. Yep, tomorrow, 7.30 against the Devils. All kinds of shenanigans, I'm sure, in the home opener. So uh, that is it for us, everybody. Uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? Sure, you can find me at M Death and Taxes, my first name M, and Death and Taxes, nothing in life is assured but Death and Taxes. And a Flyers loss. <laughs> yeah, I am uh, Dan the Flyer fan, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod, at National Puck, and at National Pod. Net, I will be back Thursday night with the Angry Negative show. Uh, Bobby may join that show. He was not available tonight. So we'll see what's going on then. Uh, but until then, everybody, goodbye and good night.